Our scripture, it's from Acts 21, verses 1 through 14. And when we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had come inside of Cyprus, leaving on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. And having sought out the disciples, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we departed and went on our journey, and they all, with wives and children, accompanied us until we were outside the city, and kneeling down on the beach, we prayed, said farewell to one another. And then we went on board the ship, and they returned home. When we finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemaeus, and we greeted the brothers, and stayed with them for one day. And on the next day, we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. He had four married un- unmarried daughters who prophesied. And while we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem. And Paul answered, what are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, You may be seated. Um, Well, before we jump in uh, to that text, let me pray for us and then... uh, you're like, what's, what's this thing about? And that's what I, when I first read that text, I'm like, I have no idea what I'm going to preach from a story of a guy sailing around the world. Um, but actually, this is a really powerful week. So let's pray and then jump in. Uh, Father, God, as Psalm 101 says, we, we know that it is you who made us, and we are yours. And we, as your church, are your people, the sheep of your pasture. And so this morning, as we open your word, be our shepherd, lead us, guide us, revive us, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All summer long, we've been looking at the book of Acts and how the church went from really a small group of a few dozen people in one city to a worldwide movement in basically 10, 15, 20 years. It's pretty stunning when, when you, you think about it. And, and last week, what, what we looked at was Paul was saying goodbye, what he thought for the last time, to leaders in a church he'd spent three years with in Ephesus. And he sort of laid out for them uh, a, his goodbye speech, which if you remember last week, was all about the words of Jesus, it's better to give than to receive. And how Paul wanted this church to live into that, those words of Jesus, to be a people of generosity. And how we as a church, that's who we want to be. We want to be a place that when people come and, and see who we are and see our lives and see into our community, the, the idea that it's better to give than receive seems plausible, seems true, seems real, seems like that's who we are. Well, now in Acts 21, Paul, he's gotten on the boat. He's left these uh, leaders from Ephesus in the city of Miletus, and now he's on his way to Jerusalem. And on his way to Jerusalem, he is going to stop off at a few different churches and... And it's clear, everyone knows what happens if Paul goes to Jerusalem. He's going to be arrested. There's, there's trials ahead. There's afflictions 
ahead. Paul's not sure he's going to live past this trip. And I was just thinking about that this week. Like, could I get on that ship? Knowing that at the end of that road is, is certain suffering, certain pain, like potentially even my own life on the line. Do I have the courage to get on the boat? And would you have the courage to get on the boat? And so this morning, I really like one kind of one idea that I want to unpack, and that is I, my, I'm convinced that for this week, and especially after spending 20, 21 chapters reading through Acts, that if you are a Christian, you will be a person of courage. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you will have courage. And to be Spirit-led is to be courageous. To be Spirit-led is to be courageous. And if you're not a Christian, you're probably, well, that doesn't really sound like uh, a message for, for, for me. And, and it, it probably is it's a little bit more internal. And yet I would say, uh, if you're not sure about Christianity or you're open to it or you're wondering about it, one of the things that, that even secular historians note is one of the reasons why the church went from this very small group of people in one city to a worldwide movement very quickly was because of how Christians approach suffering and death. It was, just, it was completely different than how the rest of the world processed suffering and death. So that when Christians died for their faith or suffered for their faith or arrested for their faith, the way they handled that was so different and was so moving and capturing, that was a large part of why people became Christians in such, uh, such fast measure and why the church went from just a, a few people in Jerusalem to a worldwide movement within 15 and 20 years. And so as you hear the story, like this might be moving to you. That I think Christianity has a resource to face afflictions and trouble and trials that is unique. And Paul has it, and he gets on the boat. And so this morning, uh, I want to talk about that. Why we need to be a people of courage. Um, and so I want to look at kind of this story in three ways. One is, why we're all going to need courage. Uh, what cultivates courage in us. And thirdly, how you get it. So why you need it what you can do to cultivate it, and how you get it. So first, why, why everyone in this room at some point in your life is going to need some bit of, of courage. And as I said a minute ago, Paul is, is going to travel through a number of cities, but sort of we focus in on two different cities here, and that is the city of Tyre and Caesarea. And at Tyre, uh, Paul gets there. It's a port city, which means there are lots of ships going in and out, and that's why we're told the ship is going to unload there. And so there's a, basically a gap from about seven days where Paul's going to be in Tyre while he waits for the ship to get ready to, to continue the, the, the move to Jerusalem. And so he knows there's a church in Tyre, so he goes to the Christians in Tyre uh, to, to spend time with them. And when uh, they get there, uh, we're told that, that at this church at Tyre, the, these Christians say, through the Spirit, through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And Paul doesn't listen to them. He's like, no, I have to go. And he gets on the boat, and he continues on his journey on down to Caesarea. And at Caesarea, Paul meets a pretty famous Christian uh, who was mentioned earlier in the book of Acts. We didn't look at that story, uh, but his name is Philip. Um, um, and, and we actually did look at, at some of Philip's life um, earlier. But, but um, Philip was an evangelist, and he moved to this, this area. He had four daughters who were told um, prophesied. And just sort of an interesting side note for a minute. Uh, uh, Philip and, and these, his four daughters were actually so well known within the, the early church that they, uh, their graves were sort of marked as, a, as, a, as an important place. And so in, in about 300 AD or so, a, a guy named Eusebius wrote a, like the first church history of the early church. 
And basically, uh, uh, the, the, his main source, like said, like the graves are still there, and the four daughters, and Philip, and the daughters live to a very old age. And so, uh, so we sort of had the history handed down from Philip to the daughters to someone else to Papias to Eusebius, and then we have that that story there. So they're actually these are well known; these are real people. They had real lives, um, and they were really important in the the early church. And so Paul gets to them, and we're not told what the the four daughters prophesied, but we can probably guess that they prophesied to Paul: "You're going to get arrested. Don't go to Jerusalem." Um, and the reason for that is because we get a third account of that. This guy named Agabus comes and says the same thing to Paul, but he gets a little bit more dramatic. He like, he like grabs Paul's belt from him and he ties up his hands and he ties up his feet. And he's like, Paul, this, this is what's going to happen to you. Because prophets, and let's be honest, preachers too, like they're all dramatic. And they, just, they don't just want you to hear something. They want you to see something. And so he ties himself up. Paul, this is what's going to happen to you. Do not go to Jerusalem. But Paul keeps going to Jerusalem. And I just, I was, I found that so fascinating this week that one group of people through the spirit are telling Paul, don't go. A prophet has been given a vision from God and he says, don't go. What is happening? Why is Paul ignoring them? Well, to, to know that you have to remember last week and we looked at these verses last week, but Paul, when he was taught, before he got on the ship, he said this to those church leaders from Ephesus. He said to them, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there. Except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So what, what is going on? And I think what's going on is that the Spirit is saying the same thing to everybody. But everybody has wildly different interpretations. Or at least there's two different interpretations. Paul knows he's going to be arrested and is okay with that and is constrained by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. The rest of the church believes that Paul's going to be arrested to go to, if he goes to Jerusalem and they think that means he shouldn't go. And so why do they disagree? And I thought a lot about that this week. And, and my... My best guess is Luke is he's sort of unpacking a little bit of a theology of the Spirit for us, which is, I, I think a lot of us have the assumption that if God was to lead us somewhere, it'd be to lead us somewhere better. Or think of it like this. Uh, one of, a quote I've been thinking a lot about, and we, we used it last year in our Jeremiah series, and I want to bring it back. I don't know who he is, I don't know why he said it, but it's one of the... the Quotes that's just lodged in my brain. Um, Richard Powers, he said this. He said, every human being is involved in a desperate attempt to narrate himself or herself into a safe place. Every human being is involved in a desperate attempt to narrate himself or herself into a safe place. That we, we do not like a situation that might put us in danger, or we don't like a situation that we fear, and so we avoid them. And some people, some of us, me included, we take another step. We, we make God the object of that project. And God becomes the one who is narrating us toward safety. And so a lot of people have constructed very intricate theologies around this. The idea that if... If God were to lead you anywhere, 
It'll be to safety. Or like uh, Americans, like our church in our context, has taken that kind of idea and like injected it with steroids and f- like filled churches with the idea that, that, you know, if you pray the right thing, if you do the right thing, then you'll get the right thing. To where God is almost like, a, it's a, he's a dice you roll and you just keep rolling it until you get the, the result you want. Just keep praying, you get the result you want. If you, if you do the right thing, if you live the right way, if you pray the right way, then you'll get the right thing. And it's why I think these Christians cannot imagine the Holy Spirit would send Paul into danger, send Paul towards death. And why, when they, they get like a genuine word from the Spirit, from the Lord, like, Paul, you're going to be arrested, their immediate assumption is, that means don't go. And Paul said, listen, I just, I have a, Paul's operating in a different universe there. And I just, I think that's worth pausing and reflecting because because this idea like is so deeply rooted in the church today and like in our church context today that if, if you're faithful to God, he will give you certain blessings in return. Um, I just want to take a moment. I want to take that theology. I want to take it out back. I want to shoot it and I want to bury it and I want to burn the backyard. That's what I want to do. Because that, like, that is, that, first of all, it's very dangerous because, because we're all going to, we are all going to have our life go in a direction we don't plan. And if you start, like, bringing in the assumption that it's your fault or that if you just start doing something differently, God's going to turn it all around for you, like, that is really dangerous. That destroys faith. But more than that, it's like the Bible spends so much time trying to tell us, don't believe that. Like, just three quick examples. The Psalms, which are our prayer and our worship guide. You like can't read more than a couple Psalms where the person is praying and they're like, God, I'm like, I'm doing everything right. I'm reaching out to you. I'm listening for you. I'm praying to you. I'm worshiping you. And I don't hear you. I'm not, you're not responding to me. Or my enemies, they're all around me. And you're not delivering me. Where are you? What are you doing? Like, you cannot read the Psalms very long. And that's what you read. The idea that the Psalms just project this idea, hey, just pray this Psalm and you like blessings fall from heaven. That is not what the Psalms are about. Or there's actually there's an entire book of the Bible written to refute the idea that if if you are a righteous person, you'll be blessed and you'll get what you want. And that's the book of Job. Like it's a long book. At times it's very confusing and very boring. Like let's just summarize the book of Job. It is the whole book of Job is to say sometimes the righteous get cursed and sometimes the cursed get blessed. And if, like, that is how the world operates sometimes. And if you come to God with the assumption that if I'm righteous or if, I'm, if, if I pray enough or if I'm led by the Spirit, I will be led into blessing, Job makes clear you're, you will be crushed by the reality of this world. You cannot believe that. And then, of course, like the most obvious example that should like, it's just ironic, like people will preach this stuff in front of a cross which is a, like a symbol of execution. And like the center of our religion is that the only person who like ever, never did anything wrong, who like actually was the blessed one, who was the righteous one, who never sinned, got executed. Right? Like that's, that's, like that's the symbol of our entire faith is that the blessed one was cursed. That the one who did everything right was led into arrest and betrayal and crucifixion. And so... <laughs> Central to our faith is that that being spirit-led does not mean we will always be led towards blessing or ease or to a good life, an easy life, a safe life. The promise is that if we are spirit-led, we will have the courage to face whatever is in front of us. And this world provides abundant evidence every day 
That just because you're righteous doesn't mean things are worked out for you. That just because you pray and reach out to God, he does what he, you ask him to do. And so I hope, like, I hope that idea is almost dead in your hearts. And like, then here's the reality. You're going to go out. Someone's going to be on TV later today. They're going to be saying this. It's going to be on Christian radio today. And it's just, if you want to see me get worked up as a human being, um, right, it's like make fun of my family, my wife or my kids, uh, trash talk me on the golf course, um, or thirdly, tell me that if you're righteous, God will bless you. I, I just, that just, I get worked up over that. Because it, it destroys faith in people. And, and, and when, you, when, you eventually hit, when you eventually hit the afflictions or hit the darkness or hit the troubles of this life, if that idea is lodged in you, you're going to be so angry at God. You're not going to be able to get on the boat. You're not going to have the courage to face what you're going to have to face because you've bought into something that is not true. One of my favorite uh, scenes of, and that's like the third week in a row I've quoted him, um, but uh, from Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, um, The Voyage of the Don Treader. Um, there's a moment in the book where the, the kids, they're on a ship, and, and they're, they're sailing, and they're looking for land. And off in the distance, there's a, they, what they think is a dark mountain. And so they, they shift gears, they start moving towards this dark mountain. And, and as they get closer, they realize it's not land, it's, actually, it's just actually darkness. And so they, they end up, they sail right, right through this, this darkness, and they're terrified. And there's a lot more to, to the story, but they're terrified, they're afraid, they're scared. And, and Lucy, the youngest girl in the, the stories, um, she sees a light sort of pierce the darkness. And, and as the light gets closer, it becomes a bird. And as, as, the, as the bird flies around uh, the ship, she hears a voice. And the voice is, is the voice of Aslan, who's like the Christ figure of of the narrative, and, and Lucy had just prayed, Aslan, help us, right? We're in darkness, deliver us. And so this bird shows up, she hears Aslan's voice, and Aslan's voice says to her, courage, courage, dear heart. And that is, that is the witness of the gospel to the darkness for us. It's not believe and you get out. It's the Spirit of God is with you in it, and we'll speak courage to your heart when you, when you need it. And you will need it. So that's point one. Paul, he, he understands the spirit is not a guarantee of his safety. It is a source of courage for him to face what's awaiting him in Jerusalem and to give him the courage to get on the boat and go there. So that's, that's point one. Um, and as, as we end, like, do you have that courage? Could you get on the boat? Do you need God to line up your life in just the right way in the moment something doesn't quite go your way? Does that, does that shake you in a way that makes you question God's goodness towards you or his plan for you or his, his, where he's taking you? So point one, uh, why, we're all going to need it. Secondly, uh, so what, how do we get it? Like what cultivates courage in us? And, and there's a, just a couple of things I want to say to this the, the, uh, the, that's throughout this, this text. One is that, that prayer cultivates courage. Right? And so Paul gets to the, the church in Tyre and they pray together. And, and out of that prayer, the Spirit leads the people of Tyre to see what's coming um, for Paul. And the reality is you can't, you can't prophesy, like you can't, you can't be in touch with what God is doing in the world without prayer. And maybe God doesn't like always reveal the future to you, but um, um, the reality is like it, there's this, this sense of openness to God, which only comes through the cultivation of, 
of prayer, of being open to God, hearing from God, speaking to God. But I want to be clear, like prayer can, as prayer can cultivate courage, prayer can also be incredibly discouraging, especially during times of affliction or darkness or discouragement. And the reason is because Jesus, he said this thing in the Gospels, and Luke quoted it. So Luke, who actually is here with Paul during this whole event, like during all of this travel, we hear we, we went here, we went there, which means Luke, who wrote Acts, is with Paul during this entire time. But Paul didn't just write, or Luke didn't just write Acts, he also wrote a Gospel. And in his Gospel, he quotes Jesus saying something about prayer, which is why a lot of people say, if you just believe it, you'll get it. If you just pray for it and ask for it in the right way, it'll, you'll receive it, right? Just roll the dice enough time, you'll get it. It's because Jesus said something that sort of sounds like that um, in Luke uh, 11. And this is why prayer can actually be a very discouraging force, I think, for us at, at times. Here's what Jesus said, Luke 11, verses 9 and 10. You've probably heard it. You probably remember this. Um, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. And so this is, I think, one reason why, you know, a lot of people don't believe in God or have trouble believing in God because of the presence of evil and suffering. And I always say it's easier to be an atheist or agnostic with evil and suffering than to be a Christian because we haven't... Like, we don't just have the problem of why did the bad things happen to, to people who maybe didn't deserve them. We have an added problem, which is like the sense of betrayal or a sense of, you know, like we're asking for help from someone who isn't helping. Right? Like we have the, that's, that is a whole other added burden. And when you add Jesus' words in here and you, you begin to pray, God, do this. Help, like, help me. We ask for help and it doesn't come. We have this added sense of, Oh, is it, am, I, am I fooled? Is there anyone there? And yet Jesus wasn't, like this wasn't like, like, like a promise, like an Oprah promise, where it's like, come to my show, I'll give you all my stuff. Right? That's not what Jesus is saying here. And he goes on, he, this is how he finishes when he, he says, ask you will receive, seek you will find, knock the door will be open to you. Here's how he finishes that. This is if you, Jesus speaking here, if, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? In other words, Jesus' framework isn't that we're going to come and ask Jesus for a lot of things and He's going to maybe give us those things. The, the framework for Jesus is that we would come to God in prayer asking for God and we'd be given. We'd be given Him. We'd be given the Holy Spirit. And where a lot of our prayers go, listen, I'm not saying don't ask for help. Don't ask for things. I'm not saying that. But prayer, what makes prayer a cultivator for courage in us is that prayer is the offer of a relationship. Right? It's the bird circling around the ship in the darkness. Courage, dear heart. It's the, it's the Spirit of God moving us and encouraging us in the midst of affliction and trial and pain. It is not a promise of immediate deliverance of those things. So in your prayer life, how much of it is about seeking God and knowing God and having God versus God as a means to get something else? Like, is prayer a time for you to get God or is it a way for you to get safety? So prayer, it's a cultivator of courage. And the second, 
the second reality that is here is, is the direction is cultivates courage. And, and here's what I mean. In verse 13, Paul finally speaks. So everyone's telling him, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul finally steps up and he speaks. And, and here's what he says. He says, uh, then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I'm ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And I love this line. And since he would not be persuaded, we ceased and said, let the will of the Lord be done. Then in verse 13, it's clear. Like Paul understands his life is serving a bigger purpose. It's not just about him. It's not just about how can I get the most out of my life and how can I get the most out of what I want. and exist. No, his life is about serving Jesus. And he understands because of his life, his life is a part of a bigger story than himself, it gives him courage to face the suffering that is ahead of him. And I want to be really careful here because a lot of times when, when we think about suffering or like afflictions or Paul getting arrested, like those sorts of things, God letting difficult things into our life, oftentimes our response is like, well, let's look for the reason that justifies all the pain. Right? And... and it, the Bible never really encourages that spirit. To, I mean, just to be like, to, to say, how do I justify this really terrible thing that happened to, to me or to my, or my life? Christians often went like, well, let's, you know, so think of it like this. Like, let's say Paul goes to, to Jerusalem, he gets arrested, he dies, and his friend, like, his friends all, like, are greet, like, we lost our friend, Paul. They're all trying to tell him not to go. He goes, he dies. That's not what happened, but, like, let's just, hypothetically. It's like, how many... How many good things would have to happen to justify losing your friend? It's like, like 20 people becoming Christians. Would that be good? Is it 25? Like what, at what point do we say, Paul can't die, and then like, okay, Paul, you can die. Like what's the, you know, what's the, it's a, that is a terrible equation to enter into. And the Bible doesn't have a whole lot of interest in going into that equation. It's, the Bible's a very different answer to the presence of, I mean, Paul was a faithful servant of God, and God's saying, you know what? You're my faithful servant, so I'm going to let you go be arrested and suffer. Right? That's a, that's a really hard, hard thing to work through. Like how, like, and the, the Bible's answer to that is not like, don't worry, as God, I'm going to justify all that in the end. The Bible has a very different answer to that. And so, you know, if, if you know if, first of all, if you're in a place of suffering or darkness, don't, don't just, don't look for reasons. And secondly, if you're, if you're someone who's trying to counsel someone through darkness, don't tell people, well, here's what justifies your pain. Don't, that, don't do that. It's mean. And it doesn't work. And it's not what the Bible wants us to do. The Bible's a very better answer to this. And Paul clearly, like, reflected and, and meditated on this idea. And so in Romans 8, he's reflecting on suffering and pain and, and afflictions and all these things. And and he says a few things, and I want to, for a moment I want to go there. And he says, he says this, Romans 8, 26 to 28. Paul says, The Spirit likewise helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Two things here. One is, first of all, again, the promise of a relationship. If you're in the darkness and you don't know what to pray and you don't know what to say or you don't, you don't know what, which way is up, which way is down, Paul is saying the Spirit, the Holy Spirit prays for us. 
intercedes for us. When you can't pray, you are praying. You are being prayed for by the Spirit of God. And that should fill you with incredible courage to face whatever it is you might face in life because the Spirit of God intercedes for you. And second is, and this is, this is the hard one, and I, like, especially if you're in a place of darkness, this, I don't, you probably don't even want to listen to this because this probably isn't helpful. You have, this has to happen before. And that's why for a lot of you, before you get to the afflictions, before you have to decide whether or not to get on the boat, you, this, got, this has got to lodge deep within you first. And that is this, this idea that all things work together for good for those who love, love God. And, and what, what Paul is saying there is not someday God's going to list you out all the reasons that justify why you went through that. It's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is you're never going to understand the vast complexity of God's running of the universe. That is a narration, that is a story you will never understand. You can't. That's the whole point of the book of Job. You just, you, if you're trying to get to the reasons why, you, even if you had them, they wouldn't make sense to you. They can't make sense to you. But what you know is that God is running the universe. And there is nothing that happens or will happen to you that God didn't know was going to happen to you. And that's real. And there's a lot of Christians who say, no, you can't say that. And if you start saying that and you say, well, God permitted evil or he allowed evil, then it's like, does that make God complicit with evil? And listen, that's all complexity, complex stuff. And, and, you know, if I had two hours this morning, we'd go there. And I'd love it. But we're not going to go there. I'll, here's what I'm going to say. And as someone who my own life is like wrestling through immense evil, I find no encouragement from the idea that God didn't know or that it, he was as surprised as I was in the, the moments of life where I've started sailing through the darkness. I have, that brings me no joy, no encouragement. What does bring me encouragement is that whatever happens to me in life is not meaningless. It's a part of a narration and a story in which God is not narrating me towards safety, but towards redemption, towards salvation. And whatever, whatever part I play in that story, and whatever part you play in that story, at times might require immense courage and when you need the courage, remember, all things work together for good for those who love God. Because he is in charge. His providence is what will guide us home, not our safety. And he is guiding you and I to a far better place than the place we would make for us. The safe home we're trying to make for ourselves is nothing compared to the home God is creating for us. And at times, that means you and I have to be willing to step onto a boat and to suffer and to face the darkness in affliction where God is leading us. And yet, to, like, to have the Spirit is to have courage. To be Spirit-led is to be courageous. Because you know the Spirit of God's praying for you, first of all. right? Like, there's a power that you don't even know that's at work on your behalf. Right? Words too, you know, groaning too deep for words. And secondly, whatever, whatever is ahead for you and whatever you're walking through today... When you're in the midst of the darkness, the good news for you is not God's going to get you out quick. <laughs> is that he's with you in it and his spirit speaks over you. Courage, dear heart. So that's point two. What cultivates courage is prayer and direction. The sense of confidence in the Lord. Um, but lastly and finally, how do we, how do we receive that, that courage? How do we be a people, a church of, of courage? And one of my, probably the most courageous person I know was, uh, was my papa. And he, uh, by the time I knew him, he was like 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, he was like 150 pounds. 
like the most kind-hearted, gentle, loving, fun guy. It's like anytime I knew to his house, uh, I was going to go to his house, I was going to eat uh, frozen ding-dongs and talk about Indiana basketball. Have you, has anyone ever done that for you? Put a ding-dongs in the freezer? I know that just sounds weird saying that. There's got to be a more adult way to describe that food now, but that's what he gave me. It was ding-dongs in the freezer, and it was awesome. Like I loved it, and he was like the most kind-hearted, loving guy, really generous, but every time I went into his house, I had a hunch there was more to him than he was letting me know about. And that is, you know, we'd always go in through the garage, and over the door of the garage were weapons. Knives, a gun, I think a couple guns, actually, and these really intense-looking patches from his time in World War II. And he'd never talk about the war uh, with me for a long time until finally uh, uh, the two years I lived in the same town as him in Bloomington, Indiana, We'd go out to lunch, and my grandmother was suffering towards the ends of Parkinson's, and so it was, just, it was just him and I talking. And eventually, after asking a bunch, he would start to, to answer. And what he, his job in the Navy in World War II was he was one of the guys who, when they were out in the open seas, he would get off the big safe boat and get onto the little boat and then go out and look for enemies, look for foreign soldiers in waters in a smaller boat with less weapons, less safety, which explained the Purple Heart, explained the shrapnel that was still um, in his body causing him back, back uh, pain all the way through the, the end of his life. And just thinking about him this week, because I thought about courage, like he's the guy. Um, I thought, what a, like, what a beautiful metaphor for what a Christian life is in a couple of ways. One is, just because we like, know the world is a dangerous place that might lead us through darkness doesn't mean we're not, we don't have joy. doesn't mean we don't have fun. doesn't mean that, we, you know, that we're not, we don't have ding-dongs in the freezer, right? Like, it doesn't mean that. Um, but it also means we know, like we know, we navigate a world where there are enemies all around us. Some of them are it's disease, it's it's our health, it's it's some of us it's people. There's real trouble in this in this world, and if you are going to navigate as, as a Christian, it's going to take courage. And I think the reason why Paul got on the boat is not because he was prayed for. Or he had a sense of I mean I'm sure that was a part of it. And I, no doubt he had a sense of confidence in God's sovereignty. But Paul, like, Paul understood what he was doing had already been done. And he understood the gospel, which is that, like, when God wants us to navigate this world of, of our own sin, of our own trouble, of, our own, of this difficult world, when God wants us to navigate that world, he doesn't shout at us from heaven and tell us to get it together, right? Get it together and you better have courage. That's not what God does. What he does is he sends his son to us. And he sends his son into the darkness with us. And his son's hands were bound for us. And his son was betrayed and arrested and crucified for us. And so Paul, the reason Paul can be spirit-led into a place of affliction and danger to serve God is because that is a road that he's not the first person to walk on. That road has already been well-trotted by Jesus. And the road Jesus walked ahead of us is a road where where first of all, if you lack courage and you're fearful and you sin in the midst of trying to serve God, first of all, there's abundant grace because that's why Jesus died for us. But more than that, Jesus went into our darkness, went into the afflictions and trials and temptations and reality of this world so that, not so that the darkness would be something he could get through, but so that the darkness could, could overcome him on a cross and he could go into a grave. So that our story would not end by the darkness overcoming us or by afflictions and trials and sufferings overcoming us. But, but Jesus let the darkness overcome 
him so that he could be a speck of light that would be planted into this world that would slowly, from a little town in Jerusalem, a few people into a worldwide movement, eventually to all things being made new in Revelation 21 and 22. Jesus went into that darkness to overcome it, right? The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it so that you and I could look at affliction, could look at trials, could look at things in front of us that are overwhelming, and we could have courage. Courage to know that the road that we walk on, Jesus has already gone down. And so if you enter into a life with Jesus, I can't promise you safety. In fact, I'd almost encourage probably the other things. It's going to get harder for you. In your life with Jesus, your life will not be narrated towards safety, but it will be narrated towards salvation. And that is a far better life. Let's pray. Uh, Father, as we, as we turn to sing now, God, we pray that you would open our hearts to the truth of who Jesus is, that we'd be filled with, with courage to navigate whatever is, is in front of us this week. God, in, in, Lord, for each of us, it's very, very different things. In some of us, life is great, and, and this is more anticipatory. Um, others of us, we're, we're in it. Um, and so, God, we just thank you. We come to a God who is not distant, who is not removed, who is not far away, but who sent his son, who can, can say with authority, he knows what, what dar- the darkness feels like, he knows what abandonment feels like, he knows what suffering feels like, and he o- overcame all of it. And now he stands in power, in resurrection power, offering us life and joy and courage. Grant it to us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.